0: Loving Sairam and greetings from Prasanthi Nilayam. If you recall, I ended my last talk with a reference to a conversation between Kunti and her eldest son Karna and the very different ways in which Karna and Kunti looked at life and death. Karna is perhaps the most tragic of all the characters that appear in the Mahabharata. On occasions, Swami has praised Karna, but has also pointed out that for all his noble qualities, Karna committed one fatal blunder. He surrendered himself totally to Duryodhana because he felt that Duryodhana saved his honor in an hour of crisis. It was this loyalty that compelled Karna to refuse even his mother's request to desist from the fighting. Swami says that total surrender must only be to God and not to man, whoever that may be. Any pledge given to another human must be restricted and conditional when the issue of God becoming a priority arises. With war about to break out, Dhritarashtra began to panic, for he well knew what the outcome would be. He cursed his sons for not being reasonable and he cursed himself also for not exercising parental authority with sufficient force. At that juncture, Sage Vyasa came to Dhritarashtra and consoled him by saying, The past is past and there is no use in crying over spilt milk. Prepare yourself to accept the outcome manfully, whatever it be. If you wish, I can bless you with vision so that you can see what's going on in the battlefield. Dhritarashtra declined the offer but still wanted some means of obtaining news from the battlefront. Yasa then blessed Dhritarashtra's companion Sanjaya with the capacity to see the happenings on the battlefield and give reports to his king. Thus it was that Sanjaya became not only the world's first war correspondent, but TV commentator as well. The Bhagavad Gita, which we all think of as the lesson taught by the Lord to Arjuna and humanity as well, actually begins and ends as a conversation between Dhritarashtra and Sanjaya, with the dialogue on the battlefield between Krishna and Arjuna tucked in between, so to say. Sanjaya is not only blessed with remote vision, but remote hearing as well. That's why he was able to relay the Bhagavad Gita to Dhritarashtra. And when Krishna reveals to Arjuna his cosmic form, Sanjaya is able to see that also. The conversation between the blind king and his constant companion Sanjaya begins with Dhritarashtra asking Sanjaya, to describe the scene at the battlefront just before the fighting was due to commence. And that is when Sanjaya describes Arjuna asking Krishna to drive the chariot to a central location between the two armies. When seeing the lineup of revered elders on the other side, Arjuna's heart sinks, yielding to doubt and misery. Krishna waits patiently for the disturbed Arjuna to pour out his heart and then instructs him in divine knowledge. That clears the cobwebs in Arjuna's mind and gone is the confusion. He gets up as instructed and fights with vigour, dedicating his actions to Krishna and seeking no reward. Swami adds and I quote, Krishna's exposition benefited Arjuna, Sanjaya, Vyasa who wrote the Mahabharata and Hanuman who as the symbol in the flag of Arjuna's chariot also heard the Bhagavad Gita. The same Gita fell on the deaf ears of Dhritarashtra too. End of quote. This last remark is most significant. These days There are many who make it a point to read all the 700 verses of the Gita every day. Some even take the trouble of memorizing all the verses. All this is fine and desirable, no doubt, but only up to a point. As Swami has often remarked, what is the use of all this memorizing if one does not put into practice the teachings of even one sloka, indeed half a sloka, If one merely chants but does not follow the teachings in real life, then one is no better than a tape recorder. That is the warning from Swami, and I suggest that we should periodically remind ourselves of that warning when we try to cleanse ourselves merely by routine reading or chanting. Moving on. Swami has also made a few other remarkable observations concerning the Kurukshetra war. First is the fact that the war was fought in 3141 BC when Krishna was 86 years old. Swami says Krishna was born on 20th of July, 3227 BC. That's how His age is counted as 86 years old at the time of the Kurukshetra war. The war started on a new moon day, Amavasya, but Sanjaya started his narration ten days later. Swami adds, Some consider this day as the Gita Jayanti or the day on which Krishna vouchsafed the message of Gita to Arjuna. But this was the day on which Sanjaya narrated the story of the battle to Dhritarashtra. The Gita was actually given by Krishna to Arjuna on Kartika Bahula Amavasya day. So there is a time delay between the original instruction of the Gita and Dhritarashtra hearing it conveyed by Sanjaya. By the way, some of you might recall that not only has Radio Sai broadcast the entire text of the Gita in Sanskrit with concurrent translation in English, but has also brought out the essence of the Gita in the form of a simple dialogue between Krishna and Arjuna. In addition, I have also some time ago broadcast an entire and extended series of talks on the essence of Gita as highlighted by Swami. In view of all this, I shall not on this present occasion spend any more time on the Gita. The Kurukshetra war lasted 18 days in which initially fortune seemed to favour the Kauravas and that of course caused much despondency in the Pandava camp. But eventually the tide turned and the Pandavas won. The last act in the great war being a keenly fought one-to-one mace combat between Bhima and Duryodhana. Bhima finally killed Duryodhana and it was all over. Krishna's role in the war has been the subject of much comment. The feeling in some quarters being that though Krishna did not wield any weapon, he, using questionable tactics, skillfully manipulated many a situation so as to give the Pandavas a tactical advantage. In the Rama Avatar 2, Scholars have debated endlessly on the correctness of Rama slaying Vali from behind a tree. However, Swami has put to rest all such controversies by giving a deep insight into the divine purpose and intentions. In fact, in His dying moments, Duryodhana Himself levels such charges of foul play and severely castigated Krishna. Balrama too was chagrined by Krishna's role in the final destruction of Duryodhana and so the question has often been raised whether some of Krishna's actions were above board or fair. This is an important point and merits some attention. As I see it, there are basically two ways of looking at Krishna's so-called questionable tactics. The first is by regarding Krishna as a mere human and the second is by taking into account the fact that Krishna was an avatar, a purna avatar at that. If Krishna was a mere mortal, then the charges leveled against him might perhaps have a basis. But if you remember that he was in fact God incarnate, then his actions fall totally outside the purview of limited Human Analysis Humans are bound by space and time and view things, people and events circumscribed by this limitation whereas the Blessed Lord is completely beyond the finite boundaries that apply to us ordinary mortals. This is very important. Thus Krishna's actions God's actions and indeed Avatar's actions can be understood only by the avatars and not by us. And we simply have no business whatsoever judging the Lord by our yardsticks. It is totally meaningless and absolutely stupid. Indeed, this is always the mistake one makes with avatars. Did not Shirdi Sai frequently baffle his contemporaries as does our own beloved Swami? As the late Mr. Kasturi once remarked, not only every discourse, but even a casual remark, or for that matter, even a mere gesture of Swami, has unfathomable meaning. It is pointless to either try and analyze, or interpret, or understand the actions of the avatar. Humble and meek acceptance, as Gandhi recommends, is the only way open to us. In this context, it is sobering to remember that even Balarama, an aspect of Narayana himself, could not understand Krishna's earthly actions. Returning to the story of the war, the casualties were truly staggering. All the Kauravas were killed and so also all the leading lights on the Kaurava side, including Karna, Drona, etc., Bhishma was felled, but he held on to his life as he had been blessed with the boon to shed his mortal coil at a time of his choice. Bhishma lay on a bed of arrows arranged by Arjuna and waited for the sun to come from the southern to the northern sky as that was supposed to be a more auspicious time to give up the body. On the Pandava side too, the toll was heavy. Though the Pandavas themselves escaped death, all their offspring were totally annihilated, and the slender hope of the continuance of their lineage rested entirely on the boy growing in the womb of Uttara, the wife of Abhimanyu, the son of Arjuna. Later, this boy became King Parikshit, and facing a death sentence due to a curse, he spent the last seven days listening to a narration of Srimad Bhagavatam which describes the glory and the incarnations of Narayana up to that time of course and the lessons taught by the avatars on various occasions. Let me get back to the main story. Seeing the carnage, Yudhishthira was completely shaken. The despondency that overtook Arjuna at the start Now made Yudhishthira its target and overcome with grief, Yudhishthira refused to pick up the reins of kingship that was now his. Sense had to be knocked into his head, even as was required in the case of Arjuna earlier. This time, Krishna gave the job to Bhishma, who, for a number of reasons, was reluctant, not the least of which was the fact that Krishna was right there, and was certainly more qualified than anyone else to advise. But Krishna insisted, and Bhishma yielded. Thus came into existence the Shanti Parva, the body of knowledge communicated to Yudhishthira by the venerable Bhishma, on diverse matters both secular and spiritual. It is an unparalleled manual of practical wisdom, especially for those involved with governance. In the course of the dialogue, Yudhishthira asks, which is the best Dharma of all? To which Bhishma replies, the best one is the ceaseless contemplation and the worship of Lord Narayana. Having said this, Bhishma composed on the spot a flowery hymn in praise of Narayana containing over a thousand different descriptions of the Lord. This is the famous Vishnu Sahasana Namam, which Shirdi Baba asked many to recite daily. The incredible aspect of it is that the first time this Vishnu Sahasranamam was recited, it was in the actual physical presence of Narayana Himself. In passing, I might throw in a nice little story concerning our beloved Swami. This happened many years ago in Tri Brindavan and I was a witness to it. It was evening and the post-Bhajan period when boys gather around Swami's jula inside the thrai waiting for yet another of those memorable sessions to start. As usual, after Swami entered and got seated, there was small talk for some time. After which, Swami said, Narsiman says something to the boys. The remark was addressed to late Mr. V.K. Narasimhan, a distinguished journalist and for long time the editor of Sanatan Sarthi, After Mr. Kasturi could no longer handle that job, Narasimhan was widely read and could speak practically on anything, replied, Swami, when you are there, what business do I have to speak? It is you who know everything and it is you who should speak. In any case, the boys are waiting for you to speak and not me. Swami smiled and said, No, Narsiman, you go ahead and speak. When Narsiman persisted with his prayer, adding that it is God who should speak to man and give advice and not man to man, Swami said, Narsiman, you know, sometimes man listens better to man than to God. Narsiman was shocked and said, Swami, how can that ever be? Swami then said, "Narsimhan, don't you remember? When Bhishma told Krishna that he should advise Yudhishthira, Krishna insisted that it was Bhishma who should speak and not he. And it worked. Did it not? Mr. Narsiman smiled and accepted that he had been vanquished in argument and went on to give yet another scintillating talk. Unfortunately, I don't remember a word of Mr. Narasimhan's talk, though I remember every word that preceded that talk. In any case, that incident is what is important to Sai Bhagavatam. Sometimes, God uses man as his instrument, even though he could do it all himself. Well, getting back to the bits and pieces of the remaining part of the story, accepting Bhishma's advice, Yudhishthira, Assumed the rulership of Hastinapura and ruled for many, many years as a wise king who never deviated from the path of Dharma. Mindful of his responsibilities, he gave shelter to Dhritarashtra and Gandhari, though this was not quite liked by some of his younger brothers. And in due course, the Pandavas one by one shed their mortal coils, their mission on earth having been completed. The story of the Pandavas is an inspiring saga of courage and determination. It also illustrates that having the Lord on one side does not automatically provide exemption from troubles or difficulties. However, the Lord does help in bearing the difficulties with courage and fortitude. And finally, the allegorical significance of the great epic, the Mahabharata. Swami says and I quote, The Mahabharata is basically the story of the five vital heirs or the Panchapranas overcoming a hundred obstacles in the path of progress. End of quote. When God descends on earth, He comes as an incarnation or an avatar. Thus far in human history, He has come only three times in human form, with his full complement of divine powers, that is, as a Purna avatar. The Rama and the Krishna avatars were Purna avatars. The current Sai avatar is also a Purna avatar. Blessed are we therefore to be born and living at the same time as the avatar. And even more blessed are we to have his darshan, has also directly experienced His limitless divine love. Rama bore arms and physically destroyed enemies. Krishna too used the destructive force when needed, but quite sparingly. The current avatar has, however, come without any weapons whatsoever. Why? Has not Krishna declared that the wicked would be destroyed when the avatar descends? Well, in Rama's time, the enemy, namely Ramana, was outside. In Krishna's time, the forces of evil and good were to be found within the same family. But in the present day world, the forces of evil and good are both within the same person. No longer are there pure good guys and patently bad guys. Thus it is that our Lord Sai has chosen to use love or prema as his so-called weapon. This instrument destroys the wickedness in man instead of killing him. And having destroyed the wickedness in man, transforms man and raises him to the level of divinity. As Swami Himself has declared, quote, In this Kali age, The wicked have to be reformed and reconstructed through love and compassion. That is why the avatar has come unarmed. It has come with the message of love. End of quote. In one of his divine discourses, Swami declared in ringing tones that his mission was unique in that he was involved in making each and every person realize that he or she is God. Times change, habits change, fashions change and so on. But one thing remains constant and that is that God is love and love is God. In addition, man too is God which means that he too must breathe love and not hate. That is our dear Lord Sai's constant reminder. One point about the Krishna avatar. Krishna is often worshipped as God which is correct. But in the process, one tends to lose sight of the human aspect of the avatar. The discourses given by Bhagawan Baba during the summer of 1976 and brought out in book form in the book entitled Summer Roses on the Blue Mountain published in 1976 are worth reading in this context because in those discourses Swami repeatedly emphasized the human aspect of Krishna. Those discourses are most illuminating to read because they open our eyes to the human aspects of both Shirdi Sai and the current Sri Sathya Sai avatar as well. Well, this brings to an end my original project to tell you something about the Rama and Krishna avatars. As I mentioned right in the beginning, my aim was not to present a scholarly discourse, but help you to get acquainted with the essential aspects of the Rama and Krishna avatars, hoping that this would stimulate a deeper study of the earlier avatars on your part. Having come this far, I perhaps ought to include a few more talks dealing with the current Sri Satya avatar. Unfortunately, right now, I have too many deadlines to meet, so I shall reserve this task for later, namely, the pleasant job of speaking about the incarnation of our own beloved Swami. Meanwhile, many thanks to you for being with me during the present series, and I do hope it was of some use to you. As for me, it certainly uplifted me in a lot of ways. In countless ways, in fact. May God be with you all. Hopefully, I shall be back soon with narrations about the wonderful Sri Satyasai Avatar, who is not only here to save humanity, but also to fill us with bliss in so many different ways. Lokas Samasta Sukhino Bhanto. Jai Sai Ram.